Say What? Say What Radio Show. With no agenda. It's always a surprise. But if we're not having fun, we're doing something wrong. And welcome to the Say What Show. It's December 23rd, 2023. My name is Nancy Hopkins. With me is Mona Radler and the Yasmin and Bob West. So um, Dolly's off. She got to her, her daughter's okay. And Walt's still on hiatus. So um, we've got here to say to everybody out there, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. That's... Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to think about time anymore. Um, okay, so um, Mona's not feeling so good today, but we wanted her here anyway just to enjoy being together. And uh, Mona, do you want to say hi to everybody? Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle bells. <laughs> oh, what? I don't even know. <laughs> I've been, you know, you say, I don't know words to songs. I can't help you out there, but maybe Bob and Yasmin. Because they've got a radio show. Hey, by the way, what is the name of your radio show? <laughs> well, our, our show is called Our Damn Show, but it happens to be on RadioBobUSA.com. So you go there. Oh, and so there's oh a okay, okay. It was the USA. I couldn't remember that. I no. couldn't get to it. And I was like, What? I thought I had it down. Radio Bob. I said, oh, that's easy, but I forgot the USA. All right. So, right. so okay. Yeah. yeah. RadioBobUSA.com. All right. And we we yes. haven't started with our damn show yet. Uh, we're still appearing on everybody else's and trying to make other people's shows stay alive or, and or work. So, yeah. Uh, at some yeah, point, we got, we'll get down to doing our own. We got too busy with everyone else's. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what what exactly is the what what are you trying to do with your show? And you know, we've talked about the station, but what do you what's the the theme of it or the you well, know the theme, of, the theme of it is wide open, but the what we're hoping to do sometime either in February or March is do a evening music broadcast in which we we'll pick an album. You know, like uh, Steely Dan Asia or, you know, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon or or something by B.B. King, whatever it happens to be. Um, and we'll pick this album and we'll play a few songs. And then in between the songs, we'll have some discussions going and our discussions will cover woo topics. So we'll cover uh, some event topics in history and talking about education and stuff like that. But we'll stay clear of pretty much politics. But we hope to incorporate live callers. Um, sometime by mid-June, July, so that they can call and ask questions. And frankly, I don't care what the questions are, because if I can't answer them or can't fake something, we'll come up with something. And if we can't come up with something, we'll ask them to leave and we'll take the next caller. <laughs> well, well, we'll be a little nicer than that. <laughs> I, don't well, know. I will. We will have fun. That's the premise of our show will be to try and attempt an attempted humor. Uh, <laughs> we'll see how we do. It all sounded fair to me. That's how we had our roundtables. Yeah, 
Yeah, and that's kind of the, the premise of it. And we'll just, we'll call it our, our damn show and we'll, we'll pick a topic. Because, you know, like you know, Nancy, most of our other material is predestined by the individuals that create it. So um, it, it's good to have some freeform license amongst all the rigid uh, daily uh, material that we're getting from the Woo community. <laughs> it's not so rigid. <laughs> So, so you're getting a lot more. I admit, I ha I don't, I I don't ha have the time to listen. I'm gonna make it make time because I keep saying, you gotta listen to that station. But then I couldn't find it. So, uh, anyway, um, so you are accepting woo woo because I mean, it seems like most everything out there is woo woo now. Well, yeah, and so we we kind of we were doing kind of like a broad net of things, but um, we recently had um, two ladies that came to us, um, and Bob, you can chime in, that were actually going, they wanted to do live call-in shows. So we have, um, we have Susan Marie, and she is a, um, let me get this right, she is a, certified clinical hypnotherapist and also she is a reiki master so um that's like her primary healing modality that she uses with her clients and she's planning to do a live call-in show and we're starting all this in january and uh she's gonna have people listening to her show and calling in so that she can, you know, answer their questions, um, talk to them a little bit about what she does, what it can help with. And so we thought that that would be a very beneficial addition to the community. And then she, she actually had a, um, she had a store which she had to close and, um, so she also um, has a friend that she was uh, had the store with, uh, Lady Amber Rain, and she actually, so she's also a healer, but she also is psychic and she does paranormal investigations. So she also wanted to do a live call-in show. So <laughs> we're gonna have her in January as well. Um, this is going to start the week of January 8th, and um, so we're kind of ironing out the details with that and figuring out, we're, we've been doing tests all day today to figure out the DJ software and, you know, the live call-in. We went and, and we got a number assigned so that they can call into the show. Um, so yeah, we're working all that out so that we can be ready to go in January and um, hopefully it'll provide people with some help on some things um, and they can just call in and chat and work it out. So we're excited about that. <laughs> uh, not to take over Yasmin's thunder or anything, and we think it's awesome that we're getting both these ladies and we're getting the following that they've created while they were with the cross uh, with uh, light weavers, light weavers Academy. So they're going to be called time bridge hypnotherapy. That's time bridge hypnotherapy on Facebook. And what we're really looking forward to is the fact that I said, Hey, I, I need a favor from you. 
we can't provide you with your initial callers. So they're going to go to their 10,000 odd Facebook friends that they've collected and require some of them to come in and call into the show. So the first few episodes won't be blank air of just people talking. It will actually be some interaction. And so it gives us a, a kind of a good field test for them. And they're starting out at about an hour a week each. So they're on Mondays and Wednesdays. And they've actually discussed taking more time already. Um, but they'd like to see how it would go. And we'd like to see how it would integrate. So I had to look at integrating Facebook phones and Skype phones and all that stuff. Nancy, you're probably familiar with it and get it out live on a seven second delay. <clears throat> wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> I really am because that that's not an easy thing to first off understand and get up and working. Um, right. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully, hopefully you, you 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 get the people because some of the some of the calls that would come in because I've been on shows where we had the call in, you know, are just like, oh my God, how did we get into this place, <laughs> you know, and um, but then there's those ones that are just a lot of times you'll have people who are talking for a lot of people asking the questions that a lot of people have. And to me, that's, you know, especially with this type of show, you know, this is the kind of show where those people and you also, Yasmin, is you guys have been, you know, trained and dedicated your life to healing and helping people. And boy, this gives you a real good opportunity, not just to touch base with the person across the table, but to, across the world. So right. more talk on that. Yeah, nice. Thank you. Thank you. And so they, they dropped into our laps uh, very recently. And then our agreement with um, NASA dropped yeah. into our laps pretty recently, too. So now we we not only have these two willing to sell their souls on the radio uh, two hours every week for us, which we really appreciate, but uh, we managed to find a loophole in NASA's media regulations that allows us to rebroadcast their material. Um, as long as we treat them nicely, and so we want to do that, and so we have. Now, by NASA, you mean the space people? Yeah, yeah, I mean the National Aeronautical Space Administration um, is. And you're going to be what kind of shows? I mean, I understood you were going to be in this for the music, but this is science. Absolutely, uh, it is. It is the number one podcast in the galaxy. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and it's produced by your tax dollars. It's produced by NASA. It's called Houston. We have a podcast. And oh, we're no, gonna run it. We're gonna run it a couple of times every month and see how people feel about it. I think it's it's incredibly important when we talk about communicating that we talk about uh understanding the technology that we're gonna be forced to deal with, whether we like it or not. And uh Whatever we do here, I guarantee you, uh, we are a extinct race if we do not invest in space. So, might as well do it. Well, you do, realize, you do realize that you're not going to get the truth. Oh, sure, I'm not. But if, <laughs> if, it, if it keeps people interested, that's great. So, we, uh, we're, we're hunters in the podcast world, and we hunt for... Uh, very select items and, and one of the other items that we're hunting for is we want a zen surfer 
We wanted somebody that's been reasonably famous in the surfing community to give us their podcast and teach us about how they feel about Zen and what they think education is and, and have a little fun with that as well. And so I think if we're going to spend our time on paranormal studies and tarot, that we should give NASA their say as well. <laughs> Yo, it's going to be fascinating. I do watch watch a lot of NASA, yeah. you know, broadcasts because you get information. You just can't take everything they say as being truth. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you know, if you don't know what they're saying, and a lot of people don't know what they're saying, you know, you can't even get a grasp of it. You know, it's it's like. No, just listen. I mean, it's science. They're, they are giving you science to a limited degree. They're telling you, if, as long as you look at it and you look at it from observation, not what they are telling you it might be. Um, one of the best examples of that is that the Russians realized that NASA produced stuff on Mars, like the rovers and stuff, that there was something weird with the coloring. And sure enough, the NASA pictures had been doctored to show a red look to everything. But that was a phony thing. When you take away that, essentially a, um, I'm trying to think of it, uh, the, the the lens, a colored lens type of thing. When you take a colored lens away from it, what you have is you have a place that looks very similar to the deserts of Earth. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely check. agree. Yasmin can probably explain it. She's done more photography with with Mamias and Hasselblad type cameras than I ever would. But the original photographs of Mars would have been a little bit red because with the sepia toning, right? Mm, yeah, well, that's a... They'd have been a, in emulsion, a, though. That's a coloring a that you apply to the print when you develop... Right. develop the uh, negative, but when you develop the Right, but our print. original our original visions of all these planets would have been on film before they would have been digitally transmitted. Mars would have been seen by camera right. before it would have been seen by video. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, if other they, planets maybe not so much. If they made the prints of the picture using the sepia right. tone method, then yes, it yeah, would be the moon. Red. The moon has a weird color to it too in its first sets of photographs, and those were done with Hasselblads. I mean, like the most expensive camera that you could produce by hand. Medium format. Medium there, format. There are more expensive cameras than that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for what they had up there, that's. That's an amazing piece of equipment, and even those pictures are were off. Yeah, it, it's um, there's so much that that they've hidden from us that they've lied about. I mean, like we could go into the science, but I'm just, you know, what you should do, you should you should play that whatever hour or whatever you got there. Then you should have on a group of people who take it apart <laughs> yeah well you, i guess you could so one of the things that i think is important to to put together here for us is a relationship with certain individuals and they offer some very interesting material on the people and how they cope with stresses in space so i think if we 
discern a little bit from their podcast. I mean, they already have 360 in the can and they do five a week. So oh, if I only play like two a month and I, I filter those to be the ones that focus on how people cope and, and how they get by. I mean, you know, you can say what you want about the equipment, but these poor people are up in the ISS for six months at a time. And if they're not in the ISS and they're underground, then they're underground for six months at a time. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, they're a little crazy, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was listening to this. They've got a new uh, class of, I guess, astronauts that are the ones going to, to Mars or being designated for that, you know, going through the training. And this one young girl, I mean, she's not, I, I can't tell anymore, but she looks like she's in her 20s. Um, she was saying that ever since she was like 13 years old, she wanted to go to space. And she would gladly go to space knowing she might not come back. You know, well, that that never, you know, and it's like all your life you've wanted to leave the planet like that. I mean, it's like, whoa, okay. The kind of smart you'd have to be is the kind of smart she probably is, where at 11 or 12 or 13, she said, if I start studying hard enough now, out of a population of 2 billion people, I might get a chance to fly on a rocket. Yeah, yeah. I'll take I it. Mean, I mean, I was Smart super it. impressed. I was super impressed because it's nothing that I I would want to do. You know, I'm I think so this is a beautiful that. place. I don't even want to leave my house, so, you know, it's not like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, what's it take, six months for to get there, something like that? Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I think they can reach the ISS, the the space platform, in a couple of orbits. So that's probably a few hours. I think the moon's two days, maybe. I don't know what our current rate of inter inter sol inter solar system planet to planet travel is. I imagine Mars would probably be. I don't know. Well, depending on where it is and where we are. Up to six months, seven months, maybe. Yeah, yeah. They, they. I, the, the, I could be off, but I don't think I am. Um, they were saying that to do a shot to Mars, they have to make sure that the they're at their closest together. That, you know, because their orbits well farther away. Yeah, and it's, that, all, it's kind of almost that. Because if you wait till Mars is your closest to Mars, Mars is traveling away from you while you're in flight. You actually want to, uh, how do I, see if I can get this straight, a naval aviator explained it to me. You get on one side of your house and you throw a ball. I'll get on the other side of your house with a mitt and I'll throw the mitt up in the air and I'll catch it. Um, because while you're moving, the Earth's moving and so is Mars. So you want to launch at the point that gives you the shortest distance forever Mars ends up when you finish traveling. Exactly. And yeah. they said that they said that that was um, six months compared to if it was at the farthest point, it would be a year. Yeah, at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, but six months, you know, traveling someplace and it, it all sounds a little bit crazy to me. Um, well, I think, I, I think you do the math, right? You just trust your math. 
Well, yeah, but you know, I th- I think I come from from a you know a people that are in vehicles that are a lot better than what they're going to put these poor people in there, you know, and it's like you know big spaceships that are you know can go through wormholes and things like this. But then on the other hand, I look at you know this concept of getting in a rocket and traveling you know with this thin thin metal you know surrounding you traveling to like mars and it's like oh that seems a little crazy but then i think about earth and earth's doing the same thing and it doesn't have a mental metal container it's got an atmosphere i've heard a, a bunch of different stories throughout my life about people who would get into spacecraft and how thin those things were the lunar lander and stuff like that but you know, I, and I've actually been in a Mercury and a Gemini spacecraft or, or capsule, similar type, right? a capsule, yes. Yeah. I've never been on top of a rocket, mind you, but I've been both in a museum. I've never been in an Apollo command module replica or trainer or anything like that. And if I did, that would be a hat trick. Um, but the technology now with Virgin, you know, and every Richard Branson, and what's his name, Elon Musk, and everybody else thinking about commercial applications, probably convinced me to go. Because if something's going to hit you up there, it's probably going to take you out. It's probably, <laughs> it's probably going to take you out. So you probably don't need anything really thick, knowing that no matter what hits you, nobody's going to AAA isn't going to show up and <laughs> save your ass, right? <laughs> Well, one of the most amazing stories that comes out of the space force, <laughs> the space, you know, exploration, is Apollo 13. You know, oh, yeah. it's like you got this little, I mean, we're talking about really thin metal. We're not talking about a quarter inch of metal. We're talking about, you know, they have to be oh, careful. They yeah, they, they have to be careful they don't bump something with it. And they put it on this rocket and they shoot it out. And Okay. So as they're going to the moon, which I think it's more like a, a two and a half, three, three day trip, if I'm remembering correctly. And so they go out there and they weren't very long in the journey when essentially they had an explosion of, I, was it the oxygen tank? I think it was an oxygen tank. But there was an explosion that blew out the side of this thing the damage to it was unbelievable and yet they go ahead oh sorry i was going to say that the movie apollo 13 does an excellent job on on exactly what you're discussing for our fans at home that aren't able to that don't know the whole story but you're right they were incredibly lucky but all the damage blew up on the back end which was a lot thicker then the uh, the module was sticking out in front of them, which was their the lunar lander. And you're right, that thing had foil over aluminum foil. You know, that's basically what it had. But it did have a pretty good, strong aluminum skin. But that skin was only two millimeters thick. Yeah, it was towards the where the engines were. You yeah, know, it, gets, the, it got thicker back there. A lot. It, it, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, but but the fact that it was a hole in the dang thing was just like what and yet and then they take this vehicle and they continue there there's nothing they can do they're they're on a trajectory to the moon and then they go around the moon and 
God bless them. They they had the, the engines turned on enough to to give them the boost to essentially slingshot off the moon to come back. And then, I mean, the whole way they've got really no power. They did on Earth a makeshift of everything that was on the on the vehicle itself to figure out how because they were suffocating or it was carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide scrubbers were failed had failed. And so they had to some way or another clean the carbon dioxide or they were going to be dead in the, in the capsule if they could get the capsule. So they, they on, on Earth, they, they took what they had on, in, on the vehicle and figured out how to do this, and it worked. Okay? The computers worked. They had to turn off everything to save fuel. And because I think there might have been a leak or something, too. They were very low on fuel. And so they get into the area where they need to turn around and fire the engines so that the engines will slow them down enough so that they get caught by Earth and they fall to Earth instead of bouncing off and going off into the ethers and never being seen again until some sci-fi people in the future find them. Um, but this whole situation, if you know, and it is Apollo 13 I'm thinking about. I mean, I lived through that whole thing. But even when we didn't, I mean, there's no way that the the average person like myself could grasp the danger. I mean, it was just because it was so preposterously dangerous, the condition of that vehicle. And so they managed to, the, the heat shield wasn't damaged. So they managed to get down and to get into the water. And even when they hit the water, they didn't sink. You know, I mean, it was like, if it's your time to die, it's your time to die. But if it's not, the universe goes through some amazing things to get you home. Oh, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you got to feel that they were divinely blessed. They had angels or something. You go, well, why did it happen? Well, maybe to make a situation where the rest of us can look at this and go, Wow. You know, how do, how do people walk away from some of this stuff? You know, how does this one young woman crash into the mountain and somehow survive where everybody else dies? I mean, stuff like this is like, what? You know, yeah, uh, stuff for the space program, like the, the lunar lander that you're describing that was so thin that was out in front of the actual capsule that was in front of the service module. Service module is what blew up, but the service module's power was amazingly enough in the vacuum and cold of space cooled by oxygen and the sacrifice once that explosion had occurred the sacrifice was do we let these guys run out of oxygen or do we let them run out of power and the lucky thing was that somebody went well the lunar lander has power and everybody went yeah but that's only for two dudes yeah well that's all you got so go move in there so that's what they did but Grumman spent four years five years working on plans for the lander and working on how to look through windows and how to stand instead of sit and all these other factors which are very well defined in an hbo miniseries called from the earth to the moon yeah. um, which is available on download anywhere and i encourage everybody on the planet to see it but they went through all these trials and tribulations to make sure and the lucky thing about apollo 13 was that lander was still attached and turned around the wrong direction 
which put that motor in front, which was the strongest part of the lander. So if you were going to have a problem, at least it ran into the thick part instead of the thin part, which was towards the capsule. And those guys knew when they got on that rocket and somebody said, OK, we're going to get ready for countdown. They knew they probably had about an 80 percent chance blown up on the pad. Um, I've met. 10 Medal of Honor winners in my life. Um, I can't think of one of them thought they're going to live in the situations they started out in. So I imagine space guys are the same way, man, woman, whatever. Would you do that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't take those odds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Ask my wife. Yep. I'm in. For me, it would depend on... No problem, then. It would depend <laughs> on what it was. I I don't think I would risk my life for going to space, but um, oh, yeah. maybe maybe something else. Yeah, if I had the money, I'd try <laughs> space. I wouldn't try the Titanic in somebody's little sub, but uh, you know, if if Elon Musk said, "Hey, man, do you want to ride?" I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll go." I've done some hairy things. I've well, 350 feet in a basket. I'd risk my life for somebody I loved. Yeah. But probably not say, Probably but, not a trip to space. <laughs> I used to be a high steel painter, but I won't walk out on a bridge that has open handrails. I can't stand it. I don't even like to drive over them. I will, but I, I won't walk out. I Not willingly. Not anymore. I just have a problem with stuff like that. Gold Gate Bridge, I'm not walking on that sucker. I've been driving over that thing all my life, but I will not walk out there. Not a chance. Uh, it, it's, uh... Goes in space, though. <laughs> no, no. Well, you know, what, the thing of it is, is I'm a remote viewer. I've been on the moon. I've looked at Earth. I've been, you know, I, I've traversed Mars. So, to me, it's like, you've been there, done that. Not going to risk my life to, to do a 3D. <laughs> uh, I've, you know, I've talked to people who've had the same career their whole lives, and they talk about, you know, the family trips and the vacations and all that. They're like, what's your career? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, well, what do you do? Well, that has nothing to do with my career. Um, <laughs> you know, just because I was a security guard at an art museum doesn't mean I was a security guard. I was still selling wastewater equipment on the side. I've always done, you know, theatrical and media work. What is my career? Living. <laughs> right? Living and exploring. And exploring. <laughs> yeah, I'm not done yet. I obviously haven't seen everything. I'm still here. Well, when I was younger, I had a rule that if I looked at my watch three times in the same day, I'd quit the next. Oh, God, I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and I did. I mean, I went through so many jobs, you can't even believe it. But I was not, I just, if I, 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 if I was not compelled to be there in the present and never think about the time, then it wasn't someplace I wanted to be. And I went through a whole slew of different things, you know. And then you get to a point where you go like, oh, crap, I can't keep doing this because it's harder and harder to find a job. <laughs> well, that's the big thing. You know, like a buddy of mine, he's out of work. He's a pretty smart guy. He's a sales guy. He can't complete anything. But he can kick open doors and, and generate leads and do follow-ups, and, and he's reliable. But it just, like, 
he's that kind of guy with when he gets the sale, he tries to sell you one more item before you finish paying. Bad plan. Um, and I'm not that kind of guy in sales. I've had, like you, I've had dozens of, of different types of careers and different familiarity. And it's kind of funny because the other day, you know, the uh, the audio system went out at the plant and everybody was looking at it. These are like high paid instrument and control guys. So they make about 140 grand a year. I make like 66. I'm the maintenance guy. And so I said, what's up? And they go, oh, the audio system's out. And I said, it is? I said, no, nope, source is fine. Nope, amp's working. Nope, I can hear it. It's low. I said, you got a loose wire. And they're like, yeah, right. And I go, no, you do. And so they go, how do you know that? And I go, because I can hear it playing. I said, it's probably a 70 volt system. And they go, okay, yeah, big guy. And so they reached over and one of the wires fell right out of it and it stopped. So then the guy took out his little screwdriver and he put it all back into place and everything worked fine. He goes, how did you know that? I go, this, this is what I, I just know. That reminds <laughs> me That reminds me of a story that uh, a friend of mine, well, years and years ago, um, her name was Tracy, and she went to this uh, conference with all the biggest names in science i mean the biggest that names in science it was this big science thing and she got there a little bit late to the to the presentation and they hadn't started yet and so she's going like why haven't you started well we can't get the sound system working and all these smart people i mean all from all over the world and she said oh okay and she went over and she got under the table and plugged it in yeah, it, it's absolutely amazing. You always start at source, right? Because that's how you and I learned. We learned in the age of you plug shit in. Pardon me, yeah. plug stuff but in. The, the we science, didn't have Bluetooth. The, yeah. the scientists couldn't go there in their heads. You know, oh, let's check the, you know, keep it simple, stupid. What could it be? Begin with the beginning. Is it plugged in? And, uh, yeah, it, it just, when you said that, it reminded her, me of her story. Right, it's, when I... When I started out in the theater long ago, it was all about snake cables and towers and assigned uh, lines that were, oh, they were four inches in diameter and they'd have like 20 passageways in them so that you could assign 20 different speakers or 20 different microphones, called them snakes. We had tons of those things. Well, we went to a concert on December 8th in Sanford in Berkeley. Berkeley, yeah. Her name is Elin Jewell. She's incredible. Uh, her new album, I have it right here, is called Get Behind the Wheel. We did an interview with her. It was awesome. And then we stayed for the show, which was, I don't know, about 500 people in a house. And, you know, you and I, we were in the in the age of plug stuff in, guys focus lights. You got to move sliders. Um, there are people giving cues. People physically move sets. There was none of that. There are guys on computer boards. The lights are all computer controlled. They're preset. There are no more hanging positions. Uh, there are no more snakes. There are microphones. There are systems for that. There are walkabouts. They're videoing. They're doing everything technology could that I I learned 50 years ago is useless. Except it came in handy at the wastewater plant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because their technology is a bit behind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> technology and they still have some pretty old systems thank god make the old guy look young again well i mean 
I, I remember this little kid said, why would you have a telephone attached to the wall with a wire? You know, it was beyond what they could imagine. Why would you do that? Yeah. And yet, you know, at the when we were using when that was our way of communicating, yep. the concept, Absolutely. the concept, the concept of, you know, being able to see somebody on the other end of a telephone conversation was so sci-fi out there, and yet now, and I noticed this at the time. It was like, that was just so mind-bending to even conceive of. And then one day, all of a sudden, somebody calls me on FaceTime, and I'm going like, the hell is this? And I realized that, oh, my God, the future is here. And it, it just sort of slid in. It was no big fanfare, you know. Oh, my, mom, my mom is so tired of it. She's 92. She talks about, she lived on Whitney Ranch which is where we live now, but she lived here back. The ranch had been developed probably in the 1870s, and she was there in the 1930s, and they had one line that came into the main house, and it rang. It was a party line. So you actually rang the bell and spoke into the wooden box. And she's been through all iterations of that now, and because of COVID and other issues, she talks to all of us via her handheld device or over uh, VOIP, just like you and I are talking right now, voice over internet protocol. Um, otherwise, she doesn't have any interaction with the universe. She hates it. She did all the eight tracks. <laughs> she did albums. At one point, she had over 20,000 because she worked in a radio station. She did cassettes in her cars. She did CDs in her cars. And when Apple came around and finally got it integrated into her last car, she said, enough is enough. Yeah, I, I got tired of rebuying music as well. <laughs> now, is there a market for that? Because years ago, my brother uh, started collecting uh, records, you know, oh, yeah. actual records. Yeah, they're is, back. They're coming back. They're in Target and they're in Walmart, so they must be back. Well, what about what about the eight tracks and all this other stuff? So, I mean, this is just useless technology, right? Uh, yeah, agreed. The uh, compression rate on on tape, unless you do what they call DAT, digital audio tape, which was uh, your HDD cameras were actually DAT cameras. Um, the technology on that, the compression rate, so the area of which you can record in, is excellent. But on a quarter-inch cassette, uh, three-eighths beta, uh, VHS, reel-to-reel, uh, -reel, yes, you can. Because in reel-to-reel, -reel, you can go to half-inch, you can go to 16-track, uh, what they call natural, and you don't give up a compression rate. Digital, really, it squeezes music. I hate it, but you need it, um, which is why we only play older tunes before pretty much 2008 because people were still using um, digital recording devices and that in the studios. They no longer, the people don't do it. So that's why everything sounds flat? Like, I mean, yeah. it has no depth to it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. Yeah, you, if you listen to uh, any regular rock and roll station, we call them bird stations here. They're named like the Eagle, the Hawk, the Falcon. Um, you find them on every FM dial in every major city. 
you hear all the same songs and then you listen to our station or listen to 10 or 12 different YouTubes and you will start to hear the difference. You will miss stereo assignment if you listen to our station on a real stereo. <laughs> you want to hear left right again. Well, my ears are so bad. I don't I don't know about that. You know, I had a thing though. I want I wanted to point this out to people. You know, you ever get that uh signal in your ear that just keeps going? It's like a whistle. Yeah, it's tinnitus, yeah. Okay. Well, the other day it was real in my right ear. It was really really loud and strong. And I put my finger in my ear, and it stopped. And it didn't come back. So if people are having that kind of thing, just stick your... I didn't stick it deep. I just closed off the opening. And uh, boom, it stopped. I don't know what to make of it, except that it stopped. <laughs> yeah, I've always envied... You know, you talk about you can do certain things and other people can't. I've always envied the people that go wiggle their ears. Because they can get the wax loose. And so you probably pushed it in or changed something. But the theory is you opened up the passages long enough to get rid of the tinnitus. Yeah, but it happens. Yeah, but it's just something to know because sometimes that's a... I, and, and I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I don't feel like this is... I, I know when I'm getting zapped by electromagnetic. This doesn't feel like ma electromagnetic. It feels more like it's coming from Earth itself. And so I don't really get concerned about it. But this one was kind of annoying. But a friend of mine was over. We had, I had two, two, the guests, they come over. And all of a sudden, Peter went, whoa, can you guys hear that? And Betsy and I could not. And I went, hmm. So in a room full of people, you know, you can have one person who gets connected that way. And yes, it might be, you know, the person's got tetanitis and... You know, that's the end of it. Or it may just be that, especially on this property, if it was someplace else, I probably wouldn't be saying this, but it's pretty magical property. And I, I, I can see people get here and they get affected by the energies. And I'm wondering, you know, is this, is this, is this some kind of a tuning thing that's happening to us? Maybe we sh shouldn't be afraid of it. So, so my father was one of those who was the, uh, he was a big ear guy. Listen for the pitch changes, you know, and unlike kids today, you can turn on anything you want today, go to any movie what, whatsoever, but we always had to wait. He'd always, he'd always point things out to me, but he said, man, you gotta protect your hearing where I worked on boats. And even as like a 13 year old kid, I was putting those things over my ears. I was wearing protection. When I was working in theater and rock and roll, I was wearing earplugs making sure my head was covered. And even to this day, I'm very, very clear on that. I would hate to give it up. Now, Yasmin's tried something on me that I've tried similar to eardrops. Eardrops kind of work, but this, you were talking about ear what? Uh, the ear candling, but before, just to kind of comment on what you were mentioning, I've, um, I, pretty much my whole life, I've had kind of, um, I guess what you're describing, it just comes and goes where I'll get like a ringing or so, sometimes, sometimes it's a hum um, or 
yeah, it's 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 weird. Um, and recently, it's been a little bit more frequent. So I I do think uh, there are some frequency shifts out there happening because um, I'll I'll get like a little bit of a ringing in the ear and. Um, then all of a sudden it just suddenly stops. And so, you know, there, I think there's something going on, but, <laughs> uh, for ear problems, if you have like wax buildup, a neighbor friend of mine introduced me to ear candling and that we actually used that on Bob when he, he felt like something was rattling in his ear and uh he went to the doctor and the doctor was like well i don't see anything <laughs> and he and bob was like but it's in there so uh we had our friend rosemary um do an ear candling on him and that um fixed it right away so, so i and i suggest that everybody remember that barometric pressures and humidities do make a difference <laughs> so you talk about the way your orifices are open to the universe on a daily basis, but then you went from cold to hot, over 15 degrees change difference. So you went from 45 to 60 degrees or vice versa in the manner of a minute and a half and you went, oh my God. And then your ears started ringing and you go, what happened? Bones on the outside do not absorb or change heat as fast as bones on the inside or vice versa. So sometimes when you make drastic weather changes or condition changes, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the various parts below can react differently and you should be aware of that. And asthmatics are especially keen to this as I am because I frequently worked in Berkeley on the water, San Francisco on the water. So it was about 38 degrees outside. We'd work in our cars and we would have to unzip those babies before we went inside to the 60 degree cabin or we would sweat to death, start to peel those off. And that would be the moment we'd have to run back outside again. So you learn quickly to adjust to your environment. that can affect your ears, your nose, your eyes. Yeah. Well, you remember um, Lee Brown, Reverend Lee Brown? Yeah. Years, years ago, she came and she had gotten into um, earwax stuff, you know, the candles and things. And she has um, a source that was just handmade candles that were imbued with different types of uh, healing herbs and other things. And um, we started, she'd come and she'd do some, you know, ear clearing for people that I, that I knew. And it was astounding how much of this crap comes out of your head. And they've had that stuff analyzed in labs. And it's full of heavy metals and all sorts of toxins. So your ears are sort of a uh, oh yeah, guaranteed. The first le level of defense about you know some toxins that you get into you, but it I've used them I've used them on a lot of different people, and the ones that really 
seem to go like, wow, are the people that had to fly into Miami, like guests came fly, you know, they took planes. And, you know, after they're here and and get this ear coning thing, they realize that their ears have been still affected by the, the air flight. And it just sort of regulates the pressure in the ear and cleans it all out. Um, you need you need to know what you're doing when you're doing it. You need to go with somebody that you know has been at this for a while. But when because she was doing it so often, Lee was able to become friendly with the woman that was actually making these by hand, and got her to use shungite and make some cones that have the shungite. Nice. Yeah, she gifted me a pair of them, but I've never used them because it just is so unusual that I just couldn't bring myself to use them. But, uh, yeah, so, anyway, yes, it's it's, it's something you might want to look at because yeah, it, it it'll take out a lot of garbage that you don't even know is in there. So if you want to, who's up here? Um, so... I just noticed Mona put something in the chat about uh, the Earth's resonance. Um, the Schumann. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Mona, did you want to mention anything about that? No. No, I agree with, with Mona that it, it, it could be something to do. Because, I mean, that's supposedly the heartbeat of the Earth. And it used to be all the time that I always looked at it was at 78 point, uh, 70 point, 78 point, what is it now? I can't even think of it. But it stayed the same for all my life. And then all of a sudden it's jumping off the charts. So there's some big stuff that's happening. Um, so, I, so we get to witness it, right? I mean, <laughs> I keep I keep thinking back. I keep saying this to myself. Plato was saying the same things. Uh, Socrates was saying the same things. George Washington thought the place was pretty cool, too. Um, you know, people saw Krakatoa blow up. They saw uh, Pompeii get destroyed. They saw uh, the Sub-Sahara continent, the upper half, what we know as Libya, Algeria, uh, Morocco, um, the Sudan, um, the Saharan, sub-Saharan deserts all being upheaved in a matter of like four minutes. They made it. They made it. We got lucky. There's shit that happened, excuse me, there's stuff that happened to the dinosaurs that we never saw that made the mountains and, and all that we have now. And maybe it gets, maybe it's doing what it's supposed to do. <laughs> you know? It's, it sucks for us. <laughs> we don't want to be standing on Yellowstone. We talked about it. We went to Yellowstone in 2013 or 14, 15. Yeah. We went in 2015. We drove our trailer and truck there, and it was raining. It was crazy. But we went to Old Faithful. The, the very moment we got there, we drove straight in, and it was beautiful. And we were standing. We were watching the geyser go off, and I looked at Yasmin, and I said, you know, we could be a statistic any second <laughs> and she goes like what do you mean i go we're standing on a super volcano waiting for it to go off <laughs> you know it's not really bright when you really think about it and we're staying in the campground we were there 
five days. We called the boss. I said, I want to stay another day. He said, no problem. I talked to them. No problem. So we stayed. And uh, the whole time I was there, I was like, yep, me and 175,000 other people are all going to get blown sky high when this place finally lights off. <laughs> they, had a, they had a show on about that. And um, I was like, no, I know what the story is. Yeah. Because I saw that movie uh, 2012 where they were in a camper and they go out into the Yellowstone and then the whole thing starts to take off. And there's that crazy person. Uh, I forget what his name is. Woody uh, Harrelson. Yes. Yes. Woody. Yeah. Okay. And he's there, you know, just loving it. He'd been predicting it for so long, you know, and it was like that particular movie was so graphic and so well done that I sort of like, I've seen that happen on the movies, but, you know, I mean, it, it burns into your mind as being like, well, no, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> no, we won't do that because it would be just devastating to everything. I mean, it can right. happen. If you live your whole life on Market Street in San Francisco and you see the signs change occasionally and you see the cars change occasionally, you won't think anything of it, but you'll... You remember looking down the, the the bay and seeing a double layer freeway on the front of that thing between you and the ferry building at the end of Market Street, and it's not there anymore. And you're like, oh, that looks a little weird. But imagine if you're in the exact same position, and it's April 18th, 1906, and it's 11.52 or whatever it is in the morning, and you're standing there, and one minute the city's looking like it usually does, and you're looking down Market Street, and within three and a half minutes, you're looking at rubble. It's on fire. I mean, okay, so if you're on Mount St. Helens, whenever that was, on the day it goes off, well, you're like the dude in the cabin. I'm not leaving. Okay, he didn't want to leave. Everybody else was like, hey, man, we got to get out of here. Good for them. Yellowstone goes, I don't think you're driving out of it. <laughs> well, they did in the movie, so you can. <laughs> yeah, no. thank God for Hollywood. You yeah. know? Quantum physics, Bob. Quantum, Quantum physics. physics. <laughs> well, you, know, you, know, you know, there's something off the coast of, of, of... There's something off the coast of, of Florida that people... Well, actually, the east coast of, of um, the entire United States... And that's the Canary Islands because there's a volca volcanic islands, but there's like the uh, a cone of an island uh, uh, that's making this island, and it's cracking. And if they they predicted that if this thing cracked and fell into the ocean because of an earthquake or maybe a volcano starting up, that the tidal wave would wipe out the East Coast and completely Florida. <laughs> you know, and it's like every time there's a volcano, the volcano starts to rumble and grumble. I think about that. But the reality is, is that we are, I said this earlier, we are on a world that has a thin atmosphere and we're traveling at many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of miles. I think it's hundreds of thousands of miles an hour. And we live here fine. When when it's gone, it's gone. But we you can't worry about everything that could happen because everything that could happen should happen, but it doesn't. 
Sooner you know? or later, the Earth does whatever the Earth's supposed to do. If you, if you take it and you look at it and you say the Earth wants to be flat, let's just say it wants to make, this is what the Earth wants to do, not us. The Earth, it goes, I want to be flat. Okay, so eventually it's going to create enough rain to grind everything down with a little bit of wind and some debris to make itself flat. Now, I figure we've got a few million years before that happens. The paleontologists say that we'll probably be around for 500,000 years. So if we have a few million years and our race has 500,000 years, sounds like a pretty good run. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that bet. <laughs> right? If the Earth yeah. decides that that plan's not working and she says, I need to blow up or I need to vent some gas, it's going to do it whether we give a shit or not. Well, see, I'm going to disagree with you because I believe that there is a, a divine consciousness associated with Mother Earth, or with Earth, the Creator God that created this place. And it's sort of like if you accept that, then you have to accept, you know, or consider, well, what kind of a God is this? Is it a God that would just, you know, take a fart and destroy all sorts of people and lives and all that? Or is this a, 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 the God that I hope I would have as my creator God for the earth that I live in? I'm not saying she created me. I'm saying she's created, yes, in, in an essence, she's created the 3D version of me. But the spiritual side, well, that's divine. And it's divine that created her. And I believe in a, a very loving appreciative grateful universe that just really wants to experience all that can be experienced and we'll do it in a way where if there's you know it's collateral damage if there's stuff around that you know needs to go it needs to go but at the same time if it's the kind of god that i believe I'm in communication with. It's one that says, "No, we're we're on this we're on this voyage together." And it, I think it's it's us. You know, it, it, if we if we are loving and kind and joyful, then that's what she's going to be. She's going to give back. You know, what we think becomes reality. If we're vengeful and and hateful and do all this bad stuff and war all the time, then She's not going to try to protect us. You know, she'd probably do what I do. It's like, well, keep it in the, keep it in the schoolyard. Don't bring it into the school. You yeah, know, Nancy, and, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we cut for a break here, I would say, though, that I also believe, as you believe, but I also believe that God has a, what I call a God, has a sense of humor, which states that you need to know where the metric is sometimes. And in order for you to truly appreciate this life and this place that we're on and the ability to communicate, I'm going to remind you that you're human. <laughs> and so I think he has a sense of humor. Or, or she. Or she. Or whatever it happens to be that you believe in. I believe, that, I just think that it's all, you know, storytelling. And I'll, I'll tell, you, tell you when I when I, I wrote a book that it never published, never well, it's a long story, but it's called Battle Captain. And in that book, 
I actually killed off my main character. And I can't tell you how deeply I was grieving because I, I did that. This guy was like, you know, real to me. And I didn't realize the, the, the depth of emotional attachment I had. So it's almost like he, he became real because I had put my creativity into it. And so that's, I kind of say that God's probably got the same thing. I can't imagine God going around and, you know, killing off its own creations or allowing it to be killed off. Because I don't think that, that, that the grief would be over, he could overcome that kind of grief or she or it. It's, you know, just that grief is so debilitating. Without getting into a giant talk about religious principles or anything, I remind everyone that these are but guidelines. The idea is yep. to, to be the best that you can be. But I agree with you. Sometimes you look around and you go, why would they do this to us? Well, we're human beings. And even though Plato and Socrates and Washington and Anne Frank and many others went through trials and tribulations, we will never understand. We fail to read them and learn from them correctly until it happens to us. So every generation at some point, which is getting significantly smaller all the time, is learning faster all the time that when shit happens, it hurts. And that we should avoid these things and we do these by communicating. We've turned into an internet society over the last 27, 28 years. An entire generation has been born that feels that they're not entitled to even communicate properly with each other. So I don't know how we're going to get them interested. I'm hoping that the other 70% of us floating on the planet, 40% of those are pretty religious, will get along in some way so that we can continue. Okay, I picked this one out. It's a little long, but I picked it out. I guess I know why now. <laughs> So, we're back. Say What Show, December 23rd, 2023. Um, you guys back? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're back, and we're back with something more fun and enlightening than the last segment, we hope. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was a nice song. <laughs> it was. You know, and I, I, don't know, I don't know who did it. It's like I was going through the Christmas songs and I see this Let There Be Peace. I couldn't even remember which one it was, but I was like, no, that's the one you need to play. Okay, so I, I apologize. I don't even know who did it. We, uh, for, we had a for similar those, experience for those, this morning. <laughs> for those people, I take, it, I take these songs out of the podcast because I don't want somebody to come and try to sue me because I've been using their stuff. Um, but it's Let There Be Peace. That's all I have. You know, yep, it was all masculine. What was that? There was no feminine in it at all. It was all masculine. Oh, okay. There we go. Now we know. <laughs> I still have to take it out of the show, though. But um, yes, the song "Let There Be Peace." It's uh, sometimes you know, music is can can really change your. Well, we did on Shanghai show. <laughs> Shungite Reality, we did this um, whole segment on frequencies and the different frequencies and how they make you feel. I don't know if you saw that, Yasmin. But um, I, I was actually, I actually did think about you guys because what you're doing is not just 
it, what you're doing is you're providing a, a sound frequencies that you know in these other places you just don't get. They're terrible. I can't listen to you know music that comes over the TV or uh, somebody has you know at Christmas time they put those carol thingies on you know, and honestly I don't I don't like the energy. Yeah. So. Well, our our goal was, you know, to kind of help uplift and heal people and ca- kind of do it in a way that ca- casts a wider net so that we get, you know, some of those people that aren't as aware out there and, you know, they're still hurting. So, you know, if we can make them feel good with some good music and sneak in a few words of wisdom here and there, um, plant those seeds, you know, maybe it can help improve their life. It's it's part of re- the reason why we chose the multi-genre to kind of look at it. And I think people should be interested in that because if I grew up in a neighborhood and all I heard was rap music and that thunderous beat all day long, that would become the normal uh, inspirational music to my life. It'd be what I'd need. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying it's not for me. Um, so, but if I played all rap music, then everybody that's listening is on the same page and is of the same mind and the same opinion. I might as well be on CNN, um, or MSNBC or ABC or, or Fox or whatever it happens to be. But if I cross genre and I look at what music makes people kind of feel good, no matter if it's blues or New Orleans, we we play Charmaine Neville, that's New Orleans jazz. We play Muddy Waters, that's Chicago blues. We play uh, the Spice Girls, that's Euro trash. I mean, (laughs) we play the Bengals, we play Chrissy Hines, um, the Pretenders, she did a Christmas song um, that I'd forgotten I'd even put on there. And so it's been playing since September. Well, so we'll pull it off in January because, you know, but I mean, it's been playing like once every couple of weeks or so. And that's kind of cool. So we we try to get the different genres because we want the different people to commence. Like Yasmin said, we want them to listen and then we want them to hear about a show or we want them to hear that word of wisdom. And, and then we want them to go to the website. And then we want them to tell their friends and say, you know, we don't have to yell. Um, to have a conversation about which flag should be higher or lower, we can go have that conversation. We don't have to have a protest. We don't have to call CNN. We can we can sit down and make this work. And if we can't, well, then that means there's, there's enough people that, or enough people with power that are interested in, in making it status quo. And maybe I have to consider making a change to my life to accommodate my values. I don't know, but we need to start talking. Oh, I think there's a lot of talking. <laughs> I mean, it, it it to me it's it's amazing. It's an amazing trip. <clears throat> it's like the people today they can't understand the the awesomeness of thinking in terms of seeing somebody on a the other end of the phone. But because we lived through it, because we right. went through it. We have a, a different perspective. Our reality is much different than the reality that, you know, these young people are living in. We have seen magic. I mean, I, 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 I feel more connected to my grandparents than certainly my parents. Because my grandparents, you know, they, 
they grew up before the Model T came on board. And they lived to see people walk on the moon. I mean, that's an amazing transition in your reality that just happened, unfolded in front of you. Well, we've gone through a similar situation. And right now, the young people are caught in a predicament in that they're not being told that what we know. They're not being given, you know, the ins and outs of, I mean, history is, is manipulated. Science is manipulated. Everything that they're learning has been manipulated for the outcome of essentially controlling these young minds. And yet, I don't think it's working. <laughs> oh, yes, it is for, for a portion of them. But, you know, I mean, think about being a kid. They're telling you, this is the way it is, this is the way it is, this is the way it is. And what does a kid do? Screw this. You know? I mean, you get this rebellion in children. No, I'm not going to go along with what you're saying, Mom and Dad. I'm not going to go along with it. Well, right so, now, they're being indoctrinated in something that I think is really, you know, disastrous for the country. But I think that their inclination is going to be to reject it. And that's what, what I'm seeing, is a rejection of that reality that was there when they were born. And, you know, it's been shoved down their throats. And no, 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 no. So basically all you can do in life is to give them an, an option for a different reality. And I think that's what you're doing with your music, with the radio station. Right. Well, I, th I think that's part of the intention. But now I think I understand why my grandfather and my great uncle, who were only a couple years apart, my grandfather was very strict. He was a CPA. He had Yasmin's analytical mind. He... But he also volunteered and went riding on his horse because that was the time, you know. But my great uncle, on the other hand, was just about the same age. And he said, yeah, I can ride a horse. And I, and I have that kind of mind and all that. But he goes, you know, I think I'm just going to open up this Harley Davidson dealership and see what happens. And the next thing he ends up owning Circle K Food Store, Circle K Ranch. His attitude was a little different. And so I was, I don't know, 11 I think when he brought a pool table to our house in a moving truck and had it installed in our house for us and showed us how to play pool. So that was pretty cool for an 11 year old kid, you know, because we didn't have the internet and all that other kind of crap. We just, this was really kind of cool. And he said, look, man, he said, <laughs> he said, sometimes you just kind of go with it. And he said, it just seemed like with your dad, this is one of those things that he just needed for a little while. And so we had it for three years. And my uncle was absolutely right. And what I found out by thinking about him as I do now, so I've been thinking about him for about 40 odd years, is that he never at any time in his life said, well, I'll just go with this. But he never at his, any time of his life said, no, you're not coming through here. So when they, to give you an example, when they put the freeway down the middle of his 270,000 acre facility, um, he didn't say anything about having to get from one side to the other because he knew they'd use eminent domain. But what he figured was that he could either start complaining now and there'd be all this rigmarole or he could just wait and have the upper hand in the whole thing. So he let them build the freeway right down the center of his property without a piece of paper. Idiots. <laughs> just idiots. 
because it cost him millions of dollars to come back and and put in an accommodation for his property. But he just kind of surfed the system, and I, and I think that I think there are times where we we as human beings we don't need to stand up and say yeah it's completely wrong. So we don't need to say hey I'm going to let you run over me. But we yeah, maybe we just want to take the leading edge of this wave for a little bit and kind of feel it out and bring some of you other people with me and kind of get your opinion and kind of move a little forward and let's see where I can go in the next one and kind of ride it through. I don't know, but it would help somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, Nancy. I don't know. Their idea was to kind of just kind of go with the flow, but kind of be careful. Okay. I'm just looking at the station. It says it's disconnected, but oh. I'm hoping it now it's back on air. Uh, people, you might have had a blip in the system. You might have heard something that was behind it, but. Uh, maybe you didn't. It does this to me sometimes. <laughs> anyway, um, we have the same problem. <laughs> we just say nobody's listening. <laughs> well, no, I know people are listening, but you know, it's yeah. like sometimes it says it's done something and it hasn't. It it's pretty reliable in a lot of ways, but you know i want something a little bit more i shouldn't say that because the next thing i know is derek will say hey i found a new place we're going over here you know i got to a point <laughs> you know i mean talking about you know just the the technology and stuff the first time i got introduced to technology in any way shape or form was when i was in the military and i was ended up in in uh, it was a it was a part of the army that's equivalent to the NSA. It's the army's version of NSA. It was very much into listening to the other guys' radios and their telecommunications and stuff. And I ended up being um, well when I was I- at the basic training for the in- intelligence people. I wrote the first program of instruction on the Soviet and Warsaw Pact military and that was because when i was in college i did a my my minor was soviet studies so you know i see this line of you know making me the only person that can do a particular job and so i ended up in electronic warfare and i'll just tell you a woo story what happened was that when I got out of the military, it was very it was easy for me to transition into the military. But when I came out of the military, transitioning back into civilian life was difficult because I had been in situations where, you know, geopolitical situations of, of, of immense importance in the world. And all of a sudden I'm talking to people that all they care about is, you know, Babies and money and honey, and the 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 reality of the civilian was so limited; they had no idea of what was happening in the world, and it did. It caused some uh, friction in my own mind, and I said to somebody uh, who I was working with, I said, "I swear to God, I need to talk to a psychiatrist." I said, "But I need to know. I need to talk to a psychiatrist that n- understands psychics." Uh, energies because by then I was you know 
telepathy, remote viewing, doing a whole bunch of stuff. So she says, now, see, the, the coincidence, you know, there's no coincidence here at all. And she says, oh, I have a friend of mine, and that's exactly who you're describing. So she takes me over there. We get introduced, and as soon as we get into the same room, we start doing this telepathic communication. And um, he finally said, look it, uh, I think I need to talk to you alone. <laughs> and so let's just make a, a scheduled appointment and, um, you know, we'll do go by that. Because this poor girl was completely, I mean, she, she, we're looking at each other, not saying a word, and we're having this communication. So I go back to him and he turns out to be somebody who worked in the I don't even know what compartment of the military at that at that point that he worked in but it was the basic remote viewing group that was doing all of the uh, I'm trying to think of some of the people that were on this this group but anyway he was one of those people and he said why don't I know about you and I said why would you know about me? And he said, because you're the most amazing telepath I've ever come across. And I said, we were talking words at that point. And I said, oh, it started out in college and we just got into it. And I said, it's really just training. And he, um, he, he, start, he said, do you mind if I, you know, test you in a certain way? And I said, yeah, go ahead. Sure, whatever. And he starts to test me and he's showing me pictures and in a couple of cases, drawings. And he'd ask me what this was, and I'd say, oh, it's this piece of electronic equipment or that or whatever. It was mostly electronic equipment he was asking me about. And then he shows me this drawing, and I go, oh, I have no idea what that is. Well, to make a long story short, I don't want to you know, take up 10, 20 minutes of this story. But what happened was that this particular device that he was showing me was a device that was key to the group that we would consider the black hats. They were making some kind of a psionic uh, weaponry. We called it psionics at the time. Uh, and this was a key component to it, but nobody could, nobody knew what it was. And he said, will you do a remote view and see if you can find out what it is? And uh, I said, yeah, okay. So, but I hadn't been doing it. I'd been out of the army for, you know, well, out of the, I was in the reserve still, but out of active duty for about three months at that point. And I said, I haven't done it in a while. I'll have to get my head around it. And so I did. I woke up in the morning. I said, oh, let me, you know, let me give this a try. And I focused in on the image and, and you know, was using that as the, the anchor for the remote. And as I'm, I'm going into the remote, all of a sudden, I was filled with incredible fear and SWAT stickers all around. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Okay, to make them, I'm cutting out this story. I mean, this story goes on. It's very deep. But what happened was that because of my intrusion and because I'm a, a you know, a fairly powerful energy force, it spooked them, the bad guys. And so they attacked known psychics with their psionics machines. And what it would do was it would um, set up a, an energy field that was contrary to what was healthy for the individual. It's resonance. You know, now I know a great deal about this. At the time, I knew nothing. I just learned it as we went through this process. 
this adventure. And so the resonance was that if if it was very it was if it was dead on and that your body and it were tuned to the same frequency, you would essentially just explode. You'd turn into light. If it was slightly off, you'd probably have a heart attack or some other physical ailment. Um, in some places, it wasn't quite on, but it caused people to go comatose. And he, he was one of them. He had been comatose for three days with no explanation. And when he came to, it was like, oh, my God. And he knew he had to get he had to get out of there. Um, because it happened in all over the NATO countries where the, the known psychics working with these, this, you know, concept of psychic warfare uh, got involved in it. So at that point in the game, I said to him, look it, because he's, he's packing up, he's leaving, he's going back and he was on sabbatical for a year, but this was not, they were all being called back to D.C., and because it had happened all over the world, nobody knew why except him. And so he was going, he was leaving, and that's why he called me over to to his place. And he said, I said, so you're leaving me out here by myself? And he said, yes, and they're looking for you. So be careful. And he said, all I can tell you is don't put your signal out and, you know, they'll give up trying to look for you maybe. <laughs> that would go great. And so I finally just got angry with him because it was like, oh, yeah, you got me into this mess. And now you're just abandoning me. And I said to him, I said, you got to tell me the truth. What's the, Who are you? Who are you really? And all of a sudden, he put up a telepathic signal that showed me he was an off-worlder. He, he wasn't human at all. And he said, what you need to know. And then he, boom, threw into this and threw into my mind this telecommunication system that if you want to know what I saw that day which was in 1976 you can look out the window and see your telecommunication all around you that's what he showed me he said this is the danger he said and as far as what we can do for you he said we can't we can guide you we can do things like help you out but we can't get you to the point where You've got to make decisions. You've got to do things. And we can't help you anymore. He said, we'll always be watching over you type of thing, you know. But it was like right here and now, you know, try to get yourself underground as deep as you can so they can't find you. But that's when I first saw the telecommunications danger. And over all this time frame, all these decades, I've seen it being built out just like they showed me. So it was like being somebody, I mean, how many people that, did that happen to? I don't think very many. And we're out there screaming, there's a danger, there's a danger. I'm sure that the motivation for the, um, oh, what do they call it? The Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator. The Terminator movies was to warn us. I don't think that was a black hat situation where they're trying to get our agreement to it. It may be. But I think that a lot of this stuff is really warnings to us. This is what they got planned. Pay attention. Say no. And instead we bought all those tickets and watch it all the time. Accepting it into our reality, essentially. As a potentiality, at least. So, now, 
There are so many people out there talking about the dangers of electromagnetic energy, of 5G, of the control, of the surveillance. I mean, there is just, that's why I'm saying I'm extremely excited about what I'm seeing out there. Because it was like on the Shanghai show. We did this stuff on, on the love frequency, the healing frequency, the spiritual frequency. And where was I getting that information? From news articles from ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, I mean CNN. It was the, the mainstream media that was putting this information out. In this year, 23. So... There's a lot of really powerful, good things that are happening. I mean, even in the, in the political environment, it's 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 like nuts. The stuff that they're doing out there, everybody knows now that it's nuts. And it, they, they keep doing things that are incriminating themselves. It's like the biggest one lately was the January 6th people up at Congress who had that kangaroo court, they destroyed, and they have a record of destroying it, the depositions from all the people that they brought out on the television shows and showed them. And, you know, a lot of people think that Donald Trump was convicted of something because of that show, you know, where they danced around and stuff. But, you know, nobody was paying too much attention to that until they sort of let that out. And now you're looking at them and you're going... Well, only guilty people would do that. <laughs> you know, they're, they're like doing things that are made, hey, we're guilty over here. It's all falling apart. And at the same time, you've got to build up the science of real science, of light science, of energy science, frequencies. I mean, it's like, it's a very exciting time to be in. And the fact that you guys were drawn into this uh, new concept, it's new. And, and maybe other people are trying it, but, you know, for the stuff that's actually succeeded, it's a new concept. Um, having respect for, the, for the, the music and your audience. You know, we're not yeah. going to feed you garbage. <laughs> yeah, Bob's finally found his purpose, I think. <laughs> uh, I've definitely found a purpose. But, yeah, I... The idea of being able to do the, the kind of two-way communication, the open communication is a, is going to be a big deal, you know, but we look forward to, uh, forward to not only just spreading the word about us, but the people that want to come along um, or get interested um, or want to put their show together uh, following, you know, some of our guidelines. But um, it's, it's really been kind of interesting looking through this world of the internet, watching the morph and watching the change that I've heard in regular radio stations. Uh, we've got quite a few around here that are all controlled by the same guys that control the Indian casinos around here. So it's kind of odd how all the music reflects all the bands that are going to come to the Indian casinos. Uh, that could just be me, um, <laughs> but I haven't been able to tie that together. So I do keep an eye on stuff like that. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been interesting. It's been hard on Yasmin. Um, but it's he's cracking the whip on me I am, constantly <laughs> I am absolutely we just got another bag of audio stuff so we can go do interviews um, what else we oh we signed Gary I didn't even mention Gary at all so to go even further into the weird Nancy we 
we signed a deal with this guy. He's a media guy for sprint car racing. And uh, we believe that there's an underground world of uh, fuel-injected zen and that these guys use uh, the sprint cars and driving cars as their avenue to reach their state of zen, and it's true. And so we're going to follow him around next year to, um, I think he said, 11 different tracks in California and 19 national events. Uh, He's going to give us free reports, so yeah. This should be kind of interesting. And then um, we're going to go to some of his events in Northern California next year. And we're going to put on our little shirts and signs and try to spread our fuels, fuel ejected Zen to them um, and see what they really do and do some interviews. So it could be kind of fun. Well, and we did that interview uh, of that one driver. Yeah, Chase. Yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, you, you kind of talked about how the racing makes them feel. Yeah. Yeah, it was really kind of cool. It was the same thing that we kind of heard from the surfer dudes and uh, the same thing I've heard from Yasmin. It's, it's, it's kind of different. Well, think of it in terms of energy and neurology. Yeah. You know? Um, it, yes, they're, they're portals, but it's the same time, you know, how you get focused on something and all of a sudden it's like nothing exists except this little bubble you're in. You yeah. know, it's where, it's where your focus is. But in when you're moving, like, at the speeds that they're moving to, comparatively to what is here in this 3D, they're really changing place and space very, very quickly. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, are. so it's, it's morphing around them. Because I remember hearing, uh, I think I told you this before, but it was one of those... Um, Oh, you know, uh, Grand Prix kind of cars, the, the big ones that go around Monte Carlo and that type of thing. And he was saying that when you're traveling at the utmost speeds, he said, you can actually, everything goes into slow motion. And he said, you can see the faces and the expression on the people in the stands. And that's just energy. It's anerology. It's it's the concept of reality being, you know, every there's so many versions of reality because it's all designed on place and space. So you can be in the same place geographically, maybe time-wise, conceptually, that you're on the same timeline. But the perspective that every individual has is different. It's like there's nothing very stable at all. And when you go into those high-speed things, you're morphing space. So, yeah. I mean, I can understand the the need for speed. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we kind of looked at that same thing, too. And so as we were looking at our our programming and we're looking around we said yeah these are the things that we want to go for and so we've we've gone hot and heavy towards the surf industry and we've gone hot and heavy towards the sports industry for that now i'd like to find i'd like to find a couple of people to do music shows for me even though i already have two i would like to make a shout out if i could over your station to um all of you folks listening for a show called the grateful dead hour which is run on a hundred stations throughout the country and reaches about 275,000 listeners um, on average a year. 
Um, they're looking for a new sponsor, and we feature them on Saturday afternoons. It's done by this guy named David Gans. He's an ex-deadhead. He's still got a few years left, and there's been some hard times where he's at, and he's looking at transitioning, but he's also looking for some additional funding. Um, I don't know if they'll do a grow, GoFundMe, but for a sponsor, I looked at the math and for what he's asking, and anybody wants to contact me directly, that'd be great. Um, I think it's an incredible investment if you want to reach deadheads. Um, so that's like one of the shows that I looked at was, is, you know, how do they calm themselves? And I remember being a deadhead and yes, we used a lot of drugs, but the music was pretty calming. Because <laughs> you can't <laughs> run that stuff all the time, you know? And like I told you, asked me, we're going to run some get up and go. And so we run, we run this stuff called uh, the Sirens of Rock. And that's how we came to know Elin Jewell and her new album, Get Behind the Wheel, was because she's one of the girls that sings in our Sirens of Rock. She's one of our sirens. She sings a song called Shaking All Over and Green River. It's a cover of a Creedence tune. Um, and she's excellent. She's a really super person. So that was kind of cool. She, she's this teeny little girl with a hell of a voice. <laughs> She's got a hell of an attitude, too, and she's really entertaining, and I encourage you to uh, keep your eyes out open for her and, and other talents like her. Well, you sure do make it look, listen, you know, I mean, it sounds like a lot of fun, especially for people that, well, I, I'll tell you this story. It's like, and hopefully more, more of this will happen. My friend Peter used to listen to the... Uh, you know the alternative networks when he drive into to his job and uh, and then when he came home and he was always angry because there's you know I'm talking about you know the um, oh Rush Limbaugh and um, Alex Jones type and so he was always angry. Well, his radio went out or the yeah the radio went out in the truck and. <laughs> Now he has nothing to listen to. And I got to tell you, the last time he was here, he was so calm. He didn't get into all this politics crap. It was like he, he had been healed because he stopped listening. Because he was, he was even driving me nuts. Never mind the people that, you know, have heard it over and over and over again, like his poor wife. <laughs> and, you know? and that's the reason why we have no politics on our station. We want Got people right. calm. <laughs> Got that right. No, we want you to remain calm. We want, and, and we get we get that people will seek out politics or they'll seek out the truth or they'll seek out what they think is their truth, tribally, whatever. Go ahead and do it. We want to be the place where you can run to and you'll go, oh, I may not find out about the weather. I may not even know what time it is, but when I'm done painting this room, I'll feel blessed because I didn't hear one annoying commercial. I promise you to never play an annoying commercial. I might play an annoying song. You can tell me, but I won't play an annoying commercial. <laughs> and what's that website again? RadioBobUSA.com. Correct. Yeah. RadioBobUSA.com. And uh, it's the webpage is set up similar to yours, Nancy, where you uh, go to the homepage and the player, you just hit the player button to listen. And if they're um, 
they're listening on their phone, I believe the station will prompt them to download an app that they can use. Which they could use. You can still listen through any browser, anywhere, anytime, um, unless you're at work. I got news for you. I work for the government. You can't listen to it through a government browser because it's considered NSFW for a couple of things that I tell you about politics. <laughs> And the radio station feels the same way. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Christmas. Yeah. It's Christmas time. We should talk about Christmas. Well, what's your best? Are you both both Christian? I know myself. I grew up that way. I certainly. Well, he. <laughs> He was raised Christian, and he went to Catholic high yeah. school. Yeah, I was raised okay, in a Methodist yeah. oh, family with yeah. Methodist preachers. And mm -hmm. I went to a strict Catholic high school, Roman Catholic high school. Oh, wow. But I was always woo-woo from the start. Yeah, she was broken <laughs> from the moment I met her. It was just oh, like, it was totally cool, because mm -hmm. I'm not religious in any way. I'm highly spiritual, but I'm not religious. You can't be if you've your dad's a minister and so is your grandfather and, and you went to a Catholic high school. It just doesn't happen anymore. You see too much. Well, my my uncle was um, uh, a Franciscan priest, and my his sister, my aunt, was a uh, Saint Clair nun, and she ended up becoming the sixth Sister Superior of Bolivia. And he went off doing that same thing in Bolivia. I mean, they, they sort of traveled similar paths because my aunt was always saying, oh, that sounds like fun. Go, you know, kind of duplicating what my Uncle Glenn would do. And so, and, and, I, and the family was Irish, Catholic type thing. So I was brought up as a strict Catholic. But then along the lines, you know, they say things to you, and as a kid, you're going like, what does that mean? And nobody has an answer to. And the, yeah. the, I mean, I was so dedicated that when I was like 13, I think, I made my mother drive me in early before school started so that during Lent I could go to Mass every day. That's a lunatic tick I was. Yeah, I mean, I was like, Totally into the entire concept of the church, not even Jesus. It was the church, the pomp and circumstance. I grew up in the Roman, you know, mass was in Latin. Everything about it was like, you know, I was dedicated to. And so then I, think, I, I well, always think back to my younger years, you know, like you, where it was all traditional and all, and you did the masses, and you did all that kind of stuff, and, and you probably had to do those same things too, right? Oh, yeah. 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 And then, and then, you know, it, it's like, I got into college, and I started learning about the ancient church, and all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, there's a lot of things wrong with this church, you know? <laughs> And it put a, a doubt in my head about it. But that one little doubt, it's like that whole thing was a pit, cards, paper, you know, a stack of cards. Because they have so much in it that's based on faith instead of reasoning. 
And once you get to the point of being able to reason, you go, that doesn't make any sense, you know, and uh, boom, it just collapses. So, but but the, the basics of it, you know, the, the concept of Christmas and this child that was born that was sent here to save the world. I mean, the whole story after that is a little bit convoluted, um, but we get into that. But that feeling, you know, the feeling of Christmas, even the Santa Claus stories and and the smells of Christmas, the colors of Christmas, it really is part of who we are, I think, as adults. And um, I still feel that. So, but you so can't have, find it. I have a little story from the time that I was younger, about 17, and went to a Catholic high school, but I played Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. And I was never very good at decision making. So I learned how to uh, be a dungeon master so that everybody else would make the decisions and all I had to do was realign them and, and respond to them and I was always really good at that and so one of our things was to always make new bad guys and the Vikings were always big as, as bad guys so I don't know if you're familiar with Christmas trees I have a different view of how they became Christmas trees but I love like every other little kid. I love Christmas. I love decorating trees. I love cutting them down and bringing them home because we didn't have artificial trees. And I still do to this day. I miss my fiber optic tree. I think they're the coolest thing in the world, but I recognize the Viking tradition of a giving tree, which has been related to the Anglo-Saxon Nordic tradition of the giving tree, which later becomes our Christmas tree. And in the Viking villages, what the Thane would do, and if you're familiar with Vikings, the Thane is like your town mayor, is he would thin out his political enemies by requesting that you sacrifice your child on the tree of gifts during the dark times of the years because he would learn two things. Number one, that we couldn't feed everybody. Viking villages were always kept small. This is a fact. And number two, to maintain his power if he saw that some kid might grow up to be stronger than him or have better alliances, it would be best to try to get him killed now. And so I look at my beautiful Christmas tree and I think of how great it is with its blue ornaments and its little glass sandmen or snowmen that I love so much. But at the same time, I picture the poor kid swinging there because <laughs> he was just unlucky. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> I still love Christmas though. <laughs> Well, as a kid, and even as an adult, I always felt bad when we threw them out, you know. And then I got to learn about nature and talking to Christmas trees in this case. And I said to the Christmas tree, you know, I really feel bad about, you know, what happens to you. Well, actually, I was, I had a live one. I didn't have, I wasn't going to throw it away. You know, what happens to the rest of your family? And the response I got was not something that I anticipated. So I'm pretty sure it was real. And it was that, oh, no, 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 to, to be a Christmas tree, tree is a great honor. Yeah. Yeah, we've and, heard. You know, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like the Christmas tree itself has its own energy when it's taken out of the forest and put in people's houses and then essentially loved. That, that's a great honor to the Christmas tree. Yeah. So... I 
And I don't know if the, the tree knows it or not, you know, as, as it's being hacked down and tied to the roof of your car and being brought home and standing around. I don't, I don't know if the tree is aware. I don't think it's the same thing when you're carrying the, the tied up person up the mountain to throw them in the volcano. They might be aware. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be a great well, honor, I, I would say. I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> I, I mean, I've had conversations with trees. Yeah, like I said, I'm not I'm not judging a tree or a person that talks to a tree. I've talked to trees. I I won't sing to them because I've seen Clint Eastwood do that in a movie and it's horrifying. But um, <laughs> I will talk. <laughs> God, he's full of Christmas joy, isn't he? Wow. <laughs> Yasmin, get him under control. <laughs> <laughs> she knows I love Christmas. I think it's great. He, yeah, he he does the whole stocking thing. I, and at I'm really, and, I'm yeah. really bummed this year because she decided to fast, and so it's thrown my whole Christmas <laughs> clock off. My baking clock, my cooking clock. I'm cooking for one, um, and unfortunately, her mom passed away last year at Christmas time. So that's kind of really changed things. But no, actually, I'm incredibly positive. I love lights. I love decorations. I say Merry Christmas to people, whether they like it or not. Well, as, because we're talking about it and because she just messaged me, Dolly wanted me to say Merry Christmas and love blankets to all. Please tell everyone. So I have delivered her message. Thank she's you, Dolly. Up. Thank you, Dolly. Yeah, she's off with her family having a Christmas thingy. So that's good. Um, okay, so, Mona, is there anything that you would like us to cover? Well, to me, Christmas means Christ, his consciousness, and the masses. So it's the consciousness for the masses to bring peace on earth, goodwill towards men and women. Wow. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did. Very interesting. I mean, I, I was. Yes, that's that's such a powerful message. So that's how I see Christmas because I I had a Christmas tree lit for three years. <laughs> that's how much. I appreciated the lights and the ornaments all year round. It wasn't just during this time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the that's the thing I... The masses is vitally important. The last time I went to a Catholic Mass on... Well, it was Christmas Eve, but it was, you know, um, I walked into the church and this I'd flown up into Massachusetts. I walked into the church and I see my brother sitting there. So I get into the pew next to him and he looks at me and right out loud, he said, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> and I thought, well, that is such a profound thing to say to me. Why? What are you doing here in this Catholic church? You know? I was like, okay. But yes, um, there's something special about those 
That's why I say the whole concept of the birth of Jesus and the story and, and everything about it, you know, it's just kind of ingrained in my little child's memory. Thank you for bringing that up, Paula. Because that is the, the whole key to Christmas, isn't it? Well, every day, but yeah. Yeah. I don't realize that Christ is the consciousness and Jesus is the man. So when they say Jesus Christ, they don't recognize that the man was here to bring us consciousness on how to get along with each other and how to assemble, not a religion, but a community for life's existence. I'll agree with that. Oh, there. Merry Christmas to y'all. Merry Christmas to you. It seems to be... I, I don't know. Every day. Say again? It should be every day, not just this time of year. And it shouldn't be materialistic. That's the truth. But I don't have a tree up now. Because we have three cats. <laughs> I couldn't handle it because they would think that was put up for them as a toy and I'm not going to let them play that way. I saw this story about the woman who had to end up, the, oh, this was someone saying, the cats went after the tree. So then they took the tree and they hung it upside down and stuck it to the ceiling. Right. And, and, you know, it, the cats didn't get into it, but it was, you know, not really, they didn't really like it. So the next year, they put the tree where it's supposed to be all nice and everything, and they put a cage up around it. And here's these three cats sitting there looking at this tree through this cage like, son of a gun, you know. <laughs> so I can sympathize with you not wanting to put a tree up. I don't remember any of our cats attacking the tree. Although sometimes they would start eating that st stupid metal stuff. Icicles or whatever they call it. Sprinkles, sprangles, whatever. <laughs> anyway. We had a cat. Uh, he's no longer with us, but uh, we had a cat. He would just destroy every tree we put up. <laughs> We're adjusting. Our two cats now don't seem to mind them. Yeah, and there was that one lady that had a raccoon in her tree when she got home. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh my. No. That's, anyway. That's a Christmas surprise present. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the funnier stories I've ever heard about a Christmas tree at Christmas time was my brother Mark. And somebody always gets, you know, 10 kids. Somebody always gets sick at Christmas time. And a lot of the time it was Mark. 
Well, this was the same sort of situation. He had like all the symptoms of flu and he was really sick, but he had a girlfriend who was telling him he had to get that tree he had promised to go cut down and to, you know, get it to, to, to her mom's house, I guess it was. So sick, 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 sick. He goes out into the woods and he finds a tree and he cuts it down and he puts it into his truck bed and he's on his way to the, what you call it, the girlfriend's house when he looks in the truck bed and the tree's not there. So he has to turn around and see if he can find where the tree has fallen out of the truck bed. And he finally finds it and he gets out and he gets it into the truck bed and he gets there and he's, I mean, he's got a fever. He's not even thinking right at this point. And he gets to the house and he shows the tree to the girlfriend and she goes, what is this, a joke? <laughs> he didn't find his tree, but he found something that was like, kind of looked like a pine tree thing. And he was so out of it, he brought her the, <laughs> just this, you know, dried up old thing by the side of the road. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mark is a character. He, <laughs> he's always getting into one thing after another. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think about these kids. See, I was the oldest, so I could, I could, I look back at them, and you know, in many ways, I helped raise them, and it, I guess that's why I never, I never wanted my own kid. I know how much work they take. <laughs> never wanted one. Figured I'd gotten, you know, I gotten through it when I was a kid, maybe sitting for these people, but living their lives too. You know, they were all different. It was fun. Anyway, we're near the end of the show. We got two minutes here. Mona, you want to say goodbye to the uh, audience and Merry Christmas type of thing? Everybody find some joy and share. That's it? Yes. That's good. <laughs> okay, and uh, Bob? I challenge everybody to learn the names of the people that give them coffee every week at Starbucks. <laughs> and and I'll say Merry Christmas. Um, you already have all the gifts you need around you and just uh, bask in gratitude and you'll have a wonderful Christmas. Well, um, you get you. St we've still got two minutes here, so. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to wish you guys the best, you know. May it be joyful season. Good luck with the radio program. Again, RadioBobUSA.com will get you into it. And, um, you know, you just, reality is what you think it is. So we've got to think ourselves into a new reality where people are, like, blessed and think every day of, you know, the energies of Christmas and what it really feels like to be thinking of ourselves as one human human family and get on with this reality building. So if I yeah, uh, if I can make a quick plug here for anybody that knows somebody that wants to uh, do a podcast or has done a podcast that might be interesting to us, please let me or Nancy know. And again, if anybody wants to be a vendor 
and reach uh, not only the USA, but Canada. But now we find out Switzerland on our website, uh, we have space available for people that like to partner up to do special offers for our patrons. Okay, or we gotta go. Affiliates. We gotta go. Say what? Say what radio show? With no agenda. It's always a surprise. But if we're not having fun, we're doing something wrong. <laughs>